CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. It's your money and your life with Don Cash and myself. Talk investing, finance, retirement, all the good things we usually do. And we're going to get into some bank failures. Of course, that's the hot topic and your investment planning. So what's kind of going on now? And Don, as we're kicking this thing off here today, as we're chatting, it's a little after, um, I guess, Fed rate conversation hour. We seem to be yep. we seem to be doing these on a regular basis when they're deciding to make a decision, and they're doing that. It's like Groundhog Day, where it seems like when we tape a lot of these episodes, Mr. Powell's come out and said something or another. He's going to do something. I wonder. I wonder if it's like the Groundhog. Do we? If we get his shadow, do we get more rate hikes? <laughs> Oh man, that's what a good question. I don't know, but you know, I I know I don't want six more weeks of winter. Mark, I don't think so. anybody does. We're all tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll go with a more optimistic scenario, which I think is no shadow. Right, that's the good one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And uh, but yesterday was the first full day of spring, so I don't want to go backwards. Right. I, I just want to keep on going forward. Good weather. Uh, let's try to keep the rate hikes at a minimum. But seriously, even if the Federal Reserve raises interest rates by you know quarter point that seems to be like the consensus right 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 uh, it, it looks like this with this banking issue they might pause and even start reversing going the other way at some point soon so you know when that happens is going to be some other issue that comes up with that we're going to have to deal with yeah i'm glad you brought that up cuz i was just mentioning that to you right when we were getting rolling i had just saw some some uh, you know big gurus i suppose saying they they kind of expected him to to pause it uh, but apparently he's not so that's interesting We'll, we'll kind of have to see how the rest of the year plays out. And it's just amazing, really, Don, how this stuff just kind of, I don't know, popped up. It seems like it pops up all the time. We always say that the stock market reacts to the news, and certainly the news is unpredictable, and it's been uh, mega unpredictable as of late. Yeah, th- you know, this is the perfect example, right? I mean, two weeks ago, I didn't hear anyone talking about the stability of SBB Bank being a big concern. Sure. Right? You know, it, it's in fact, just last month, Jim Cramer, you know, the, the big stock oh, yeah. guru on CNBC said that this bank looks like a great stock to buy. Oh, and, another one for him. Ouch. Yeah. We should put like a link on the show notes on this. It's a classic, right? The, the stock was down like 66% last year and it was you know, selling last month at the bargain price of $320 a share. Ouch. <laughs> and look, you know, look where it is now. It's under control of the government. Oh, jeepers. Yeah. I mean, that this, this just violates those principles that we talk about, right? Don't pick stocks, right? You can't time the market because like, anything can happen. Yeah, it's absolutely another perfect example. And, you know, and, and it's funny, I was talking to someone yesterday, a prospective client, and, uh, day before that and last week as well. So uh, they they say uh, something like, I only pick good companies, right? <laughs> it's like- What constitutes look, that, right? Yeah. If you just look at many of these uh, big companies and you know, no doubt they're large with good business models like you know, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, Tesla, but you know, some of them got hammered last year. They were down as much as 65%. So you know they're good companies, but when uh, when things go south, they they go south and sometimes even further south. <laughs> yeah, it, that's a, that's a great point. As I was just looking at the thing about you know the Fed making the announcement as we're taping this, one of the comments in the uh, the headline was that GameStop is up fifty three percent out of the blue. They weren't expecting it to be that high. So you're to your point, right? You just never know when they're gonna 
on a day when it seems like everybody else is looking, it's trending down a little bit because that's what happens when the Fed's going to make an announcement. They shoot way up. So it's like, I don't know. You just, you never know. So let's dig a little deeper into some of this stuff and some of the banking concerns, really, because that's been some questions folks have been having and, you know, why it's happening, how it's going to affect folks. Does it affect the average person, so on and so forth, and how it just relates to our overall investment planning? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, dig a little deeper. You know, we, you know me. I'll take a step back and look at this from a high level, and you know, then get into the details. And, I always think it's helpful, so I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, yeah, we'll relate it to the retirement and investment planning. So this is something I just started reading because you know no one was two weeks ago, right? Sure, <laughs> right. Yeah, all these banks. In fact, I remember I was coming home from a meeting from Arizona, uh, chatting with a big big wig from BlackRock. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got like. Ten billion dollars and ten trillion dollars, actually. Yeah, I was gonna say it's pretty. That. It's pretty up there. Yeah, ten trillion dollars in assets, but didn't come up in the conversation. <laughs> but you know, uh, currently there's five thousand banks mm-hmm. in the United States, right? And SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, was the sixteenth largest bank in the country, which is interesting because most people, including me, never heard of it. Yeah, before. outside of that area, probably. Yeah, and, and a, a New York bank uh, called Signature Bank, ranked 29th in the country, was also essentially taken over by the government last week. So yeah, uh, sorry, Don, the, not, and not to cut you out, but isn't there another one in the First Republic? Is that's a big one too, right? Yeah, that's another one, and that was the uh, the 14th largest bank. Right, uh, and the way they plugged that hole in their cash shortfall was that a little bit different with this one. They had 11 of the bigger banks come in. And lent them thirty billion dollars, so the government wouldn't have to take them over. So we'll see how that goes. Wow. Well, so talk about this FDIC two hundred fifty thousand dollars insurance uh, and this too big to fail idea. You know, obviously the president came out and announced that all the depositors, uh, even those over two fifty, would be protected from loss. But I think that's got people scratching their head too. Is that like the average person, or is that companies that had you know ten million dollars in a bank? Yeah, that's where it's interesting, Mark. And, and this is where this particular banking issue, it's more of a, a business banking problem when it comes to insured deposits as opposed to a like a personal issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people, you know, even the affluent ones have less than $250,000 in one bank or savings or checking account. In any one account, right? Yeah, right. So you might have one could be in your name, one is in your wife's name. Right. That's okay. how they work it out. But lots of businesses have, you know, 20, 30, or $100 million in their operating account for things like payroll and taxes. And sure. Especially in Silicon Valley, where this was at. Oh, yeah. And all over the country, right? It's right. not unusual at all, right? right. So, you know, these these kind of um, expenses that are ongoing with these deposits, they far exceed the insured limit of $250,000. And that's what the industry was afraid of, Mark. It was like sort of like a business version of the scene in the old movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where everyone rushes to the bank to get out their money before they run out of cash? Well, it kind of reminded me, Don, when it was first happening, people were saying, hey, let's not panic because they don't want, it's kind of like the Greece thing a couple of years ago, the country of of Greece, right? Where I know that was a totally different animal, but still people like regular folks were running to the bank and that's not a good thing, right? It starts to kind of snowball. And I know that the $250,000 limit was set during the fi- the prior crisis of 2008, because it was, what, 100000 before that, if I'm not mistaken? Right. So I guess back in the old days, there was no such a thing. But 
Speaking of 2008, how does this relate to that whole too big to fail issue? Yeah. So here's the the relationship. Out of those 5,000 banks, Mark, Mm -hmm. there's only four that are considered what they call systemically too big to fail. Okay. And they, they call that in the banking industry, the big four. And everyone's heard of these names. JP Morgan. It's Chase Bank. Right. Uh, Bank of America, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo. So to put it in perspective, their assets, all these four banks, they total over $8 trillion. Right. Remember I mentioned before BlackRock, they're right, $10 yeah. trillion. Right. The annual gross domestic product of the entire United States is $23 trillion. Wow. So the government's never going to let these banks fail. And the question really is, though, what not what is too big to fail, but what's too small to fail? Yeah, I was just reading something, Don, that said that you'd be surprised about bank failures that since 2009, I believe, we've had 512 uh, banks that, that fall. So it's not completely unusual, right? Different sizes. A lot of them were right, you know, obviously right around the financial crisis. But even since 2020, I think there was like nine. So I guess that's where people get worried, uh, even though to your point two weeks ago, no one had any fear about this at all. So they may have money in their local bank and, and maybe they're feeling like it's a better idea to stick it in a bigger bank. Yeah, that's a great point. That's what the banking system doesn't want to happen, Mark. That's a concern for these uninsured deposits that businesses have with multi millions of dollars that are they're technically not insured. You know, right. uh, last week was an exception with what President Biden mentioned. Mm-hmm. But you know, I wrote this thesis years ago on the banking crisis of the 20th century before I had to take my CPA exam. This is a long time ago, mm-hmm. and a lot of the problems with the banks then were really related to the savings and loan problems of the 1980s, and it really they're not too different. Um, from the reasons banks fail, you mentioned those 500 or so banks that fail. Right. A lot of these reasons really haven't changed a lot over the past 200 years. Hmm. And, you know, I think of a, for example, of a new housing development near my home. Okay. With, with a sign at the entrance of the street that says, this project is proudly fa- financed by, you know, I'm not going to name the bank, XYZ Bank. Sure. Right. And if the housing market falters, this bank is like totally on the hook. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So what exactly caused, you know, some of these problems? I know we've seen some stuff already since this news has come out, especially with SVB. It seemed like a lot of long term like bonds and things. So I guess the question is, is how many of these banks might we see with a problem? Yeah, that's, you know, the sixty four thousand dollar question. Right. And uh, you only have you understand that reference if you're like over 50. Sixty four thousand dollar pyramid. Yeah, if I mention that to my kids, they're like, what question? What? $64,000 question. I answer one question, I get sixty four grand. really? Yeah, well, that was the the last question. That was the last question. Right? So um, let's take the SVB Bank, for example, right? right. It's a Silicon Valley bank. The headquarters uh, of that bank was in the hot tech startup region of California called Silicon Valley, which is between San Francisco and San Jose. Um, and the way that a bank works, you know, any bank is that they take in deposits and lend money out and keep an amount in reserve to pay people who need the cash immediately. So, yeah, I mean, if you've got a hundred grand in the bank, Don, right? Your hundred grand is not sitting in a box in the bank in the vault with your name on it. They're they're exactly. repurposing that to somewhere else. Right. And that's what George Bailey said in the old movie, right? Your bank, your money isn't involved. It's in Joe's bank. It's in Bill's bank. Joe's Mm -hmm. house and Bill's house. Right. So SVB, a lot of people don't realize it's not a new bank. It actually started back in 1981 by a 
a Wells Fargo executive. I didn't know okay. that until I read this up. And it grew slowly but steadily over the years, but it tripled in size just over the past three years to over $200 billion. And mm. many of these deposits came from these hot tech startup companies. And that was issue number one. The bank was concentrated really in one industry. And and the next concern is what you mentioned uh, earlier is where did they put the money? So basically they have two choices, the bank. They can either lend it out, right, or mm -hmm. invest it. And they lent it out to many startup companies, and they also invested it in what they consider to be safe United States government bonds. Sure. Sounds good, right? So far, so good kind of thing. So where did the problem lie? Okay, so here's the deal. Over the past year, many of these hot tech companies needed to take cash out of the bank for a variety of reasons, including the slowing tech economy. Yeah, to and your point earlier point, about all the businesses that in tech community that we've been dropping all year. So, yep. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, they need the money back, mm -hmm. and they call these demand deposits, right, which means you can get the money back on demand. Okay. And at that point, the bank needed to raise cash by selling these seemingly safe assets like government bonds. Right. And they did just that. However, they took a loss <laughs> on the sale of the investments. Right, because ding, 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 Mr. Powell has been raising rates all year, right? And I think that's what confuses people. So how do you lose money in that? So can you break that down for us? Yeah, it's, that's a question. Right? How do you lose money selling secure government banks? And, right. Uh, and that's where, you know, the, the fingers get pointed. It's Jay Powell. It's the stimulus money that came into the economy. <laughs> right, right. It's not enough people going back to work causing inflation and services, not only goods. You know, really, it's all of the above. Right. right. Okay. But, you know, think of it this way. If Silicon Valley Bank, for example, took in a million dollar deposit and wanted to invest it in a 10-year government bond three years ago mm -hmm. in 2020. Right. The interest rate was less than 1%. That's hard to believe, right? Right. It was like 0.89 for a 10-year government bond. Crazy. Everyone was thinking about recession, recession, fear index. Uh, the longer-term bonds paid a little bit more, maybe 2%, let's say, mm -hmm. 1.5%, 2%. <laughs> Get longer. That's a long yeah, period. Yeah, right? like a 30-year 2%. Right. right? Yeah. So this year, the yield on a 10-year treasury was over 4%, and the same for the long bonds. So yep. if the bank needed to sell those bonds to raise cash to pay back the deposits, they're going to lose money on the sale of the bond. And that's exactly what happened with SVB as well as these other banks. And the issue with many of these banks is really that they don't have a, a diversified base yeah. of depositors. and. For SVB, it was the tech in industry, and for the signature bank in New York, it was the cryptocurrency industry. You know, Don, the whole time I was watching this unfold and I was, you know, doing our my various different stuff and uh, looking forward to chatting with you, I was sitting here going, there is a lesson in basic diversity that we preach about on the podcast to just regular folks all the time, that it almost seems like this big giant bank did, didn't diversify, right? So it's just kind of very interesting how the big, you know, little lessons can be just as applied to the average small investor all the way up to this big, you know, massive bank. So with that, you know, kind of brought up, how do they raise the money to pay these depositors who do want the cash? So if somebody walks in and says, all right, I need my cash back. Where's it at? Yeah, you you bring up a great point on diversification, which I'll touch on, right? Sure. And, and this issue about you know getting cash back into the hands of the depositors. So you know, think of it this way: 
if you have a hundred thousand dollars, we'll use a smaller amount, hundred thousand dollars of ten year bond, okay, uh, paying two percent that you bought two years ago because interest rates were so low, and you and let's say you wanted to sell that bond today, mm-hmm. an investor today can buy a new ten year bond at maybe close to four percent, right? And no one wants to pay a hundred thousand dollars to that old bond for your two percenter. Yeah. Yeah. You might get 80 or 90,000 or you'll definitely sell it at a loss. Right. Right. That's what happened to the banks. They had lots of bonds. They had to cash in to raise money and they took big losses. Yeah. Now I magnify that to massive numbers. Right. And that's where they, you know, certainly lost their money. Uh, so it seems like obviously that's going to be that potential for that bigger problem. And again, should people be worried other banks, you know, maybe have done something similar. Yeah, that's, you know, again, the big question, but right. not as long as everyone doesn't rush to the bank at the same time to take out their money, mm-hmm. which I don't see happening, Good. right? This yeah. sudden need to take out money, it's really always a problem that banks face. Right. You know, it, whether it magnifies into a bank run, comes down to confidence in the institution itself and in the whole banking system. And as an aside, this is this is why you really don't see insurance companies, Mark, having the same problems. You talked about 500 banks failing over the past uh, 15 years. Right. And if you think about it this way, if you put money in an insurance company to buy one of their products, you can't ask them for all of the money back right away like you can with a bank. That's the liquidity. Yep. It might be five years or 10 years or 15 years before they give you back the money in some form or fashion. So there, there's not any runs on the insurance company. There's a way you really see on banks. Yeah, that's a great point, Don. And so how does this kind of tie back all in to investing and retirement planning? And I mentioned that diversification you know, conversation on the spot because I wanted to keep it fresh for the listeners. And I know you wanted to get back into that some as well. But uh, that to me, that just seems like the crux of it. Yeah, it really does. It gets back to that same fundamental point of diversification, really understanding risk, right? That there's nothing perfectly risk-free. Sure. And being sure to match up investing with your personal goals, the cash needs, and the time horizon, right? How, How often do we say, know what you have and why you have it? Exactly. The purpose for the money, right? Right. And this is exactly where the banks got in trouble. They bought the long-term bonds when they had an immediate cash need from depositors. So uh, let's say in practical purposes, you plan for your children's education by buying a series of 10 or 15 or 20-year treasury bonds when they're born. Okay. Then you're essentially matching up your investments with your future cash needs, right? Mm-hmm. In the accounting world, it's called matching your assets with your liabilities. And however, if you buy the same treasury bonds when your child is 15 years old and you might need to sell them in you know, three, four, or five years, you could have a gain or a loss depending upon where interest rates go. Yeah, and it's definitely the same thing with retirement, right? I mean, you're matching up a need for income over retirement that could last you know, 20 years or more. That's exactly right. I mean, that's that's the thing that people sometimes lose sight of, Mark, that you invest, you don't invest only for the day you retire. If a person's 65 years old when they retire, they might be in retirement for decades, right? Mm-hmm. They would need to plan for growth in their investments to meet or exceed inflation, as well as for stability to be able to take the money out to live on for all of those years. And that gets back to this confusion around the safety issue of long-term bonds. These types of bonds are 
very volatile. And think about the last year, Mark, the, the return on long-term 30-year treasury bonds lost 39%. Wow. I mean, ouch, right? Yeah. Keep the, in mind that you, of course, you only lose the money right. if, if you, you sell, sell the bonds, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. If you hold them for 30 years, you get all your money back. Yeah, but, wasn't that the comment? They're like, well, the bank would have been fine. SVB would have been fine if they could wait until the bonds matured, but they can't it, wait, right? That's exactly right. And yeah. think about this. I mean, who wants to wait to hold a 2% bond for 30, 30 years, years, right? Yeah. Right. That's why a well-diversified portfolio should have a, a bent toward short-term bonds for stability. And last year, by the way, was, was the worst year for bonds really ever. But even so, high-quality short-term bonds... It may have been off maybe three or four percent last year. I mean, it's not good, but it, it's not going to kill your retirement. And the good news with that is that in the near term, when those short term bonds mature, you can buy new ones at four percent or five percent interest rates. You know, Don, I mean, I just I can't help but feel right. It's just back to basics. Right? It just that's the crux of this stuff. Diversify, understand your risk tolerance, time horizon, goals, the tried and the true stuff, right? I mean, how do, you know, how do you win the a marathon or how do you win, you know, long distance race, right? You pace yourself, you do things over time, you don't try to fire out of the gate as fast as you can. All right, that's exactly right. You you pace yourself, don't give in to greed and fear, have a plan, take it one step at a time stay disciplined, mm-hmm. and you mentioned stay diversified. But the one element that can you know, cause a bank to fail is it's often the same thing that can cause an investment plan to fail, and that's human nature. Yeah. Right? Often hard, when there's a sudden... Hard, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. hard to counteract that sometimes, right? It really is. I mean, it's it, when there's a sudden change in circumstances, often, not always, but often people panic. And in banking, they might rush to the bank Right in, in investing personally, they they might get fearful and sell at the wrong time. And and I think back again to that classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and in that one scene, the the kind young banker George Bailey is in the midst of the bank panic when all the townspeople are rushing in, wanting to sell their bank shares. Um, and and he said, George said, the richest man in town, Mister Potter. He wasn't selling. He was buying, right? He mm-hmm. was thinking long-term. I mean, he was a mean old man, but at least he he knew that it's best to buy low, hold it, and sell it high. And I guess in in our world, we call that rebalancing. There you go. And that's why it's important, folks. I'm gonna, that's why we do the podcast is to you know talk about these economic things, share some information, talk about whatever's going on uh, you know, in the world, like in this currently situation, or just other things that we've covered. And it's so important to take some of those nuggets of information, but then apply it to your specific situation. And again, I can't help it, but think this whole deal comes back to just basics and, and diversifying and making sure that you've got a proper plan. Know what you have and why you have it. And if you need help, that's what Don is here to do. He's a CPA and a CFP. I've uh, been helping families for many, many, many years get two and three retirement. So get onto the calendar, have a conversation. If you need some help at donaldcash.com, that's donaldcash.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, Your Money and Your Life, on whatever app you like using, Apple, Google, Spotify. You can simply type in Your Money and Your Life and find it that way. Or you can stop by Don's website and do the same thing, donaldcash.com. Or even check out our podcasting website, which is doncashpodcast.com. 
Com. Don, thanks for hanging out, my friend, and running through some of this stuff for me. Great lessons in here, I think, for us uh, just to apply to our normal day, and I always appreciate you. Thanks, Mark. You have yourself a great week, folks, and we'll catch you next time right here on the podcast. This is Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.